Again, from the epistle of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. So as you see, we are returning to our series on 1 Peter, and this time 1 Peter 3, verse 7 will be our focal point, but we will look at that against the background of Malachi 2 and 1 Peter 3. So first of all, Malachi 2, verse 10, this is the Word of God. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let us now turn to Peter's first epistle, 1 Peter 3, the verses 1 through 7 after which we will respond by singing together from Psalm 111, the stanzas 1, 3, and 5. Psalm 111, 1, 3, and 5. But first, the Word of God in 1 Peter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the Word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you 
of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So far, the reading of God's holy word. As I said already, we are to returning to our series on 1 Peter, and this morning we have come to chapter 3 and focus particularly on verse 7, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from Psalm 62, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, brothers and sisters, heals our life. It brings us under new management. This is what we have seen from the outset of our series on 1 Peter. In chapter 1, verse 3 and following, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded, managed, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, this new life in hope enables to endure temporary suffering, one for six. It sets free from the slavery to evil desires. One fourteen. It also heals life. It restores relationships and positions which have become distorted due to sin, as we have seen in chapter two. It accomplishes all this under the new management of Christ. He is the shepherd an overseer, the guardian, the manager of your souls. Chapter 2, verse 25. Now, in our text, beloved, we receive a picture of that new management. The Holy Spirit portrays to us what this new life means in the case of a wife and of a husband. The picture of a Christian wife portrays a submissive woman. In the spirit of Christ, she accepts her position. She does so with imperishable spirit, which is the inner power of a new life. Her strength is not in her outward appearance. She does not need to draw the attention by jewelry, clothes, and whatever else fashion prescribes. Of course, that does not denounce the wife's privilege of adorning herself for her husband as encouraged elsewhere in the Scripture. 
However, her real beauty, attraction, and caliber is in her gentle and quiet spirit. She does not hope for popularity with men, but her hope is in God. Sarah is an example for her. Sarah did not isolate herself, considering herself important, seeking her own attractiveness. She saw her life in unity with Abraham. Sarah hoped in God and therefore submitted to Abraham, followed him as her Lord, for through Abraham she hoped for the inheritance with God. The unity between Abraham and Sarah was a unity in faith. That faith determined Sarah's attitude. That faith determined Sarah's priorities. In that faith, she followed her husband even into unpredictable circumstances. That was the kind of obedience which Christ showed in perfection all the way. For it, he gave up all outer glory, and by it, he showed all his inner glory. In that way, he fulfilled Sarah's hope, and he laid the basis for the hope of all Christian wives. Now, the picture of a wife is not complete without the picture of a husband. Sarah's hope in God showed in her unity with Abraham. The Holy Spirit, therefore, also shows us a portrait of a Christian husband. The wife's obedience was compared to Christ's, since both suffered under difficult circumstances. Now, the husband's position also is compared to Christ's, since both have to fulfill the Word of God. However, in Christ, we see husband and wife united because husbands live with their wives in the hope of the inheritance of eternal life. So that's our focal point, our theme. Husbands live with their wives in the hope of the inheritance of eternal life. They share the gift of the inheritance. They share the, the calling of the inheritance. They share the comfort of the inheritance. So that's how I would like to summarize the message of our text. Husbands live with their wives in the hope of, eternal, of the inheritance of eternal life. They share the gift of the inheritance, they share the calling of the inheritance, and they share the comfort of the inheritance. So first of all, they share the gift. Our text, brothers and sisters, is well known from the form for the solemnization of marriage. In it, we find a somewhat free rendition. Live with her wisely and honor her because she is an heir to eternal life together with you. So the reason for a life of wisdom and honor with her is the fact that husband and wife are fellow heirs, or joint heirs, as some manuscripts have it. Then we see the form interpret this clearly as the inheritance of eternal life. 
Our text, however, says that she is heir with you of the grace of life. So both are heirs, heirs of life. This inheritance is a gift, a gift of grace. Now, the point Peter is making, then, is the incentive that this joint status should determine the husband's way of living with his wife. Well, let's first look somewhat more closely at that status, fellow heirs. That's a well-known word. Perhaps the example of Sarah brought it to mind. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were living in Canaan, living in tents, heirs of the same promise. Faith made them fellow heirs, Hebrews 11, verse 9. That's what we read in Romans 8, verse 17, too, where Paul writes that all who live by the Spirit of God, that is, by faith, are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in His glory. Faith makes people fellow heirs. Paul also writes to the Ephesians, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 3, verse 6. Likewise, we see that husband and wife are fellow heirs. Both will receive the inheritance, observing that the death of the testator did take place. Both have equal standing before God, even though The equal share in this gracious gift of life does not make them the same. Nevertheless, for their life together, it's very important. Their position before God and in the church changes. No longer do they live under the distorted circumstances in which the one only has rights and the the other only has duties. No, both share in the right for the inheritance, which they share in the new life with Christ. Also, both share in the duties belonging to this status. For Peter's time, beloved, this was quite a change. And don't think that Peter did not realize what great impact this change was going to have on the congregation Peter himself was married too, as we can conclude from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. In Peter's days, wives were considered a kind of possession and treated like servants or even slaves. Today you hear of similar situations still, for example, with sheiks who, have, who own oil drills, mansions, boats, and planes, and wives too. However, in spite even of all changes in the Western world in this regard, we still see husbands owning a wife, an inferior maid who can be used at will and manipulated. Now, the gospel, brothers and sisters, sheds new light on that position. 
God's grace is like the sun rising over life. In the light of that sun, we see the many forms, connections, and relations in creation and among men. It does not cover up such relationships nor revolutionize them, but it makes them shine in their former glory again. The grace of life makes creation, also the creation of husband and wife and their unique position, beautiful again, without upsetting the positions. Husband and wife are fellow heirs, members of the same body, thus making them brother and sister in Christ. Peter's exhortation shows the equivalent of Paul's statement to the Galatians. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, verse 28. In this way, husband and wife receive life, true life. According to the position received in paradise, the husband is the head of his wife, and the wife in equal value is the help he needs in his office and calling. Both have this position restored in Christ, as Christ is the head of the church, leading the church in the way of life, so the husband may lead his wife in that glorious position of a helper fit for him. Then together they share the gift of life in the service of God, in the world of God, and for the purpose of God. Yes, indeed, beloved, that's the objective, the reason of, for Peter's exhortation. God wants to accomplish His purpose with your marriage. Husband and wife are fellow heirs of the, grace, the gracious gift of life. She is an heir to eternal life together with you, the form for the solemnization says. That's the goal of a Christian marriage. Well, you know, that on the wedding day, the bridal couple has all sorts of expectations. They have many wishes, hopes, and ideals, but if it is a good Christian couple, all these hopes come together in that one ultimate goal, that their marriage may serve the purpose of eternal life. It's a marriage with a long-term perspective. Of course, that's the overriding aspect of the restoration of the paradise relationship. That long-term perspective is the end of all selfish purposes of marriage. For as you are aware, it's typical for many to set ideals of a temporary nature. Together, that, uh, today that may be a house, an extra car, holidays, two times a year, and a few children, if only the first one is not too annoying. Marriage is for fun. Marriage affairs should serve temporary enjoyment as much as possible. And under different circumstances, especially the husband had to get the most out of it, and the day-to-day -day purpose of the wife was to satisfy 
those expectations. No wonder that this has often led to disasters, to sorrow and suffering beyond imagination. Now, it is necessary for the Christian couple also, beloved, to hear this reminder of Peter's instruction in the only purpose which offers true life. For also in the church, it happens too often that sooner or later the selfish purposes with marriage gain the upper hand. Ideals, as I just described for the world around us, quite easily take preference over the true purposes of marriage. We are not married, however, to be pleased, but to please, not to receive, but to give. We are not married for ourselves, but for God. As Malachi prophesied, did not the Lord make them one? With a portion, a portion of the Spirit in their union, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. We are not married to build up our inheritance, but we are married for the purpose of life to God. We don't have our hopes and goals in this life, but as brother and sister we live in the certainty of eternal life. In that life we are living already. In that life together before God, we have our relationship, even the most intimate aspects of it, not to satisfy our pleasures, but to live out the pleasure of God. We have our ideals, our possessions, and our priorities in the Lord. For in Christ we have received this life as a pledge of eternal life. Which brings us then to our second point, the calling of the inheritance. It is in the light of this restored position, brothers and sisters, that Peter shows the consequences for the husbands. Because she is your sister, you must live wisely with her and honor her. Because you are fellow heirs, you become partners in Christ. In Christ. The Apostle Peter puts his instruction to the husband in the context of a series of exhortations. He introduces these all together with the words, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Chapter 2, verse 13. Servants, be subject to your masters. 2 verse 18. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. The Apostle Paul also introduces his treatise on the marriage relationship with the words, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Indeed, the wives must be submissive to their husbands, but the husbands also must submit to their wives, even if their position is one of headship. Their headship over the wife 
Paul denotes as one of a total sacrifice of humbleness for the purpose of accomplishing in his wife the greatest glory. Now, how do you do this, beloved? By living together in an understanding way, living together according to knowledge, Peter writes literally. So how does the husband get this understanding, this knowledge? Well, brothers and sisters, the art of living together as brothers and sisters is learned in the same way as we learn every form of communion in true life from the Word of God. If the husband wants to be the head of the household, he must be in this first. He leads his wife with considerateness, that is, with the wisdom of knowing her according to God's Word. Being fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life, husband and wife find their unity in that way, and in that way only. Then both desire to live for Christ, live for the Lord, pursue purposes in the Lord. The same word instructs the husband in the proper spirit of doing this. The words of Proverbs, for instance, apply in marriage as they do in every relationship. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, Proverbs 15 verse 1. At least it's in this vein that the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, Colossians 3.19. It is this knowledge of Scripture, beloved, which enables the husbands to submit to their wives, that is, to show in their leadership the spirit of a servant, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of love, that is, in a loving leader. Now, love even exceeds this knowledge. Paul writes in his Song of Love, 1 Corinthians 13, Love will make the husband aware of the peculiar nature of his wife and will make him eager to know his wife and to treat her accordingly. So, brothers and sisters, I hope you realize what important instruction Peter is giving to the husbands, yes, to the entire congregation. For these principles applied in our text are not just for a life in marriage, but for all circumstances in which people live together. Living together with Peter is not just sexual, but encompasses all of life. Living together as brother and sister is living together as people who are restored in their position of freedom as we heard last week in 2 Corinthians 3. In a relationship of respect and of maturity, in a Christian marriage in the church, the woman becomes true woman, for she is a believing woman. Any believing woman whose life is renewed in Christ becomes a great asset to the church of Christ, also when she is not married. 
So it's the calling of the husbands, brothers and sisters, to promote that position, that freedom and respect that's inherent in his position of headship. And that's so with a view to their shared calling concerning the inheritance of life. Then the Apostle Peter shows that the husband carries out his calling, treating his wife with respect as the weaker partner, literally the weaker vessel. Now, when hearing that expression, husbands tend to put on a smile of, ah, see, the weaker vessel, while the wives can hardly suppress a smile thinking, yeah, sure, wait till he has the flu or so. But what's easily overlooked indeed is the fact that the comparative weaker implies that the husband is weak too. The husband's condition in the Lord isn't strong either. That's how the Apostle Paul takes this expression of the weaker vessel. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, Paul calls himself a jar of clay, an earthen vessel, adding, however, the words to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul's use of this expression may well be inspired by the word that Jesus, the Lord Jesus had used when he had sent Ananias to Saul in Damascus, saying, Go, for he is a chosen instrument, a chosen vessel of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles. Acts 9, verse 15. Paul, an earthen vessel denoting his weakness, is nonetheless a chosen instrument of Christ. Well, in this understanding, beloved, husband and wife both are weak vessels, yet restored as instruments of the Lord. Both are made of dust, of clay, yet the woman is the weaker one, not in the sense of quality, but of tenderness, preciousness, she is the more exquisite one. No wonder, for it's she whom the Lord chose to bear life, to care for the children in their most tender years. Would that make her inferior? On the contrary, we should say, hearing Adam's response as the mother of all living. It's the most tender calling which should encourage husbands to bestow the greatest honor on them. Sure, their position may be weaker in social respect. Their condition may be weaker due to the high demands on them in childbearing. But it's for reasons of tenderness, of the required sensitivity, that they require this condition. In this, their precious weakness lies their strength, their endurance, their patience, and their dedication. Brothers and sisters, would a believing husband, having learned from the Word of God this so high a position of his wife, take her for granted? 
Would he not rather share with her this calling of life-giving, joining her, helping her, supporting her, realizing that it is with a view to eternal life that she is this precious? God desires godly offspring from their unity. Is that not the reason why husband and wife, husband and children will call her blessed? Proverbs 31. It's in this shared calling that a future generation learns the life of grace from the gracious gift of life in father's respect and loving attention for mother and in mother's enduring love and care for father. Failed marriages often betray a lack of good examples in parental homes because they have not seen the grace of life which shows in a love that gives, a love that shows in a living for the other. Thankfully, children of such marriages can learn this life of grace from the Word of God as we are all doing this morning. Beloved, I elaborate on this point because of the many young people and young couples in our midst. We should be aware that all this does not come naturally or automatically. An enthusiastic and hopeful start so often suffers shipwreck because the life-giving love seizes and the honor, the attention, and support. When the work piles up, the business demands the attention, the meetings require our presence, it happens so easily that this understanding, respect, and support are neglected. And the wife feels ignored, degraded, and taken for granted. However, if there is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of sacrifice and service, no, then don't give up on the work or the, uh, the activities necessarily, but then we maintain the interest, the encouragement, the respect, reflecting our love and gratitude for being co-heirs engaged in a joint enterprise for eternal life. That's the love of Christ, and that love cannot be quenched by many waters. Song of Songs 8 verse 7. That love of Christ cannot be quenched by many floods of work, piles of laundry, or by tears of tiredness. Then they will continue their calling for, in the third place, they share the comfort of this inheritance. Our third point. Now, perhaps we have expected Peter to warn for the breakup of marriages and of the home, brothers and sisters, if his words would not be heeded. Instead, Peter says that if we do not live according to these directives, our prayers will be hindered. Their spiritual welfare their spiritual welfare is closely linked to their marriage. For this spiritual life, prayers are indispensable. 
Prayer is an open window to God. Through prayer, the Father bestows his heavenly gifts on his children. These prayers, however, will be hindered, Peter says, when the husband is not faithful to his wife. Now, the word for hindered, Peter uses, beloved, denotes that his prayers will be blocked. The husband's unfaithfulness is an obstacle on the road of his prayer to God. Malachi prophesied about this. No matter how intense his praying, even if he sheds tears to God for his difficulties, hardships, frustrations, and disillusions, his prayers will not penetrate to the throne of God as long as he does not show respect to his wife, lead her wisely in their marriage and family. Do you realize what serious situation arises in this case? For marriage to prosper, there must be a strong spiritual life. And for a spiritual life to prosper through prayer, their marriage must be sound. Indeed, true life is at stake. That's why faith and repentance are required in such a situation, beloved. Only in Christ and through His Spirit and Word do we share in this life. By His Spirit, obstacles can be removed and must be removed. Do not let the sun set over your anger, your harshness, your lack of understanding, your unwise attitude. Remove it by admitting to it in order that obstacles to God's throne and between each other may be removed. For then you will be comforted in prayer, comforted also in tensions and misunderstandings, which may then be brought before the throne of God. This is the comfort that establishes us in our inheritance with eternal perspectives. Thus, as co-heirs, we accept each other as brother and sister in the Lord, bearing with each other, forgiving one another as God forgives us in Christ. This is the secret of a good marriage. Boys and girls, young people, young couples, brothers and sisters in the Lord, then you need to be brother and sister in Christ first of all. You need to know each other spiritually first, building your marriage on the basis of faith, building it in the way of prayer. Yet, then it requires the ongoing wisdom and unity in the Lord to preserve it. Such a marriage will flourish through the gracious gift of life. Therefore, keep the window to heaven open. Remove all obstacles from the grace of life that you may live together as co-heirs of eternal life now and forever. Amen.